do a lot of talking, bro. You do a lot of talking. All that screaming. Well, you better hope you can play as long as me. Hey, when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight, pray. What happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You're going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The doctor is now in. Thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us. Welcome, boys and girls. People of all shapes and sizes. Glad to have you with us here on this Thursday edition. Today... Another jam-packed show, guest-driven show. Trevor Maddich is going to join us in just a matter of moments. And we talk NFL, we talk Browns Raiders, we talk Urban Meyer being dismissed by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tracy Murray is going to join us a little bit later this hour. Tracy is going to talk to us about Steph Curry. You know, Tracy, the... Former sharpshooter himself, former NBA champion, played 12 years in the league. Love having him part of the show, part of our team here. So we will talk to him and his UCLA Bruins, his alma mater, and who he also does a fantastic job on the radio side as the color analyst. They're 9-1, and but they had a game postponed last night due to COVID. And their head coach, Mick Cronin, has COVID. So some other UCLA Bruins, so... We've got to talk to Tracy about that. And remember, UCLA is part of the CBS Sports Classic that will be here in town Saturday as the uh, Bruins schedule to play North Carolina. First game of the doubleheader. Then you got Ohio State and Kentucky. And we've uh, seen these four teams play in Vegas uh, several times over the last four or five years. Uh, the CBS Sports Classic at T-Mobile Arena. Looking forward to that on uh, Saturday. Brian Salmon will join us next hour as well, a news director, or rather the sports director from uh, News 3. And again, talking about uh, Super Bowl 58, which uh, we talked about yesterday, coming to Allegiant Stadium, coming to Las Vegas. And again, we will talk to B-Sal also regarding Raiders, Browns, and of course, uh, so many different things happening in the NFL, including tonight's game. We'll dive into that. The Chiefs and the Chargers and COVID just running rampant through all the sports right now, whether it's the NBA, the NHL, games getting postponed, many teams being affected by this, and uh, obviously the Cleveland Browns affected by this, and uh, the Chiefs and Chargers. Also tonight, uh, the games go on for now. Hopefully uh, it will continue and we, w- we will be able to continue to have football here and then in the next couple of weeks as well as we work our way towards uh, the playoffs and, of course, college football bowl games start this weekend. So busy, busy time in our favorite time, no doubt about it. All right, so the big news today, Urban Meyer fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars, which happened very, very early this morning. Uh, the Jags, as we know, just a mess, 2-11. and 11. Uh, Urban Meyer let go, didn't even get a chance to finish out his very first season and as an NFL head coach. Um, embarrassing, to say the, the least, in, in, in all different facets here. Because this season, and we, as we know, the Jack, Jacksonville Jaguars have just been dysfunctionality at its finest, or at its worst, I guess we should say, right? Uh, less than a year ago, uh, owner Shad Khan said that uh, he thought he got this one right with the hire of Urban Meyer as he let Doug Marone go in favor of Meyer. Shad Khan's comment today, after deliberation over many weeks and a thorough analysis of the entirety of Urban's tenure with our team, I am bitterly disappointed to arrive at the conclusion that an immediate change is imperative for everyone. I informed Urban of the change this evening. And uh, obviously this was uh, late last night. As I stated in October, regaining our trust and respect was essential. Regrettably, it did not happen. Offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel will serve as the interim head coach for the remainder of the season. And GM Trent Balky will remain in his position with the Jaguars. But uh, a a lot to this story. So many problems with this franchise. So many problems since Urban Meyer was named head coach going back to January 14th of this year. Uh, Scrutiny, 
really from the beginning. And just to kind of give you a timeline, this started with his very first hire, who was the strength and conditioning coach, Chris Doyle from Iowa, where Doyle made racist comments and bullying and belittling players during his time at Iowa. Uh, I, I, you have to believe that, that Urban Meyer had known about this because it was a story we were talking about much more than a year ago. Uh, after he was hired by the Jaguars and a lot of backlash came from fans and media there, he resigned a day later. So the Urban Meyer era, uh, era was not off to a very good start at all uh, in Jacksonville. You go back to May, uh, he signed Tim Tebow to play tight end, a position he had never, ever played before. Uh, Tebow didn't make it uh, you know, past the first cuts once uh, you know, training camp started. The uh, Jaguars were also fined $200,000. Urban Meyer was fined 100000 for excessive contact during the OTAs uh, in the summertime. Uh, the team had to forfeit two OTAs for next season, which will bring them down to eight, which are very, very coveted in, in the offseason. You go to August, the NFLPA said it would initiate an investigation after Meyer said he and Balky considered a player's vaccination status for final roster cuts because, as we know, COVID-19 protocols are much different for vaccinated players compared to unvaccinated players. So uh, Meyer wasn't uh, forthcoming about that. Uh, We know during training camp there was quarterback controversy uh, with Trevor Lawrence, the number 1 overall pick, and Gardner Minshew, who actually played pretty well at the end of last season. After those two alternated uh, days with first-team offense during training camp, um, Urban Meyer finally named Trevor Lawrence as the starter, and then uh, three days later traded Gardner Minshew to the Philadelphia Eagles. During training camp, a story just came out this past week where kicker Josh Lambeau accused Meyer of kicking him in the leg uh, while they were stretching during warm-ups. There was also video of Meyer with a woman at a bar that was not his wife. Uh, That was when he went back to Columbus, Ohio a few months back. Uh, Tensions between staff and players uh, were constant. And then probably the the biggest story that came out in the last couple weeks, wide receiver Marvin Jones and Meyer had heated words. Uh, Jones actually left the team for a while after Meyer publicly criticized the wide receivers. Uh, Reports that said that Meyer called his assistant coaches losers. He questioned their resumes during a staff meeting. And uh, finally, it all comes to a head. This team uh, has been abysmal all season long on the field and, and even off the field. And you could see that you know when a team basically has mailed it in. We've seen that with the Houston Texans. We've seen it with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, by the way, guess who plays each other this week? Those two teams. Uh, Urban Meyer gone, two and eleven. Uh, a lot of of hype with him coming there. Uh, it did not work out for a myriad of reasons. Want to bring in our very good friend Trevor Maddich to get his uh, uh, take on this and several other things as well. Trev, thanks for joining us today, my friend. PC, is that all? Yeah, that's about all I got. Uh, I'm passing the baton to you. How's that? Go. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it, it sounds like if you wrote that into a movie, you'd never believe it. Right. I mean, just listening to it all in a row, and and you and I both know that that's only part of the list, and that is just extraordinary. And I think the the things that he did early in that list were enough of a problem to keep professionals from really fully trusting a college coach that comes in. Because one thing you you worry about as a professional football player is that the college guy will try to treat it like college. He won't treat you like a grown man. He'll treat you like an unguided missile, 19 years old, coming out of high school where the coach puts his thumb on you and controls what you do, basically. And that is a, a, a risk that college coaches take when they get to the NFL. And Urban Meyer fulfilled that fear of those players. He came in and it's my way or the highway in a way that was very much like college. Same way with the way he treated his players. I mean, it's very different. In the, in college, you call your coach coach. In the NFL, you call your coach by his first name a lot of times. It's very much a professional relationship and, and losing some of the credibility that he did with the early things like hiring Doyle as a strength coach. Then he resigns the next day because of the, the uproar when it came out of the, the things that he was accused of from a racial standpoint at Iowa. And then hiring Tim Tebow. 
uh, signing him to be in training camp to play tight end, a position he never played before on a team that needs as many guys that have a chance to make the team as they can get and be as good as they can get. And all those different things that that started his tenure there with players raising their eyebrows ended up being big storms as things piled one on top of the other. And it came down to, at the end of it all, the credibility of accountability. One thing about Urban Meyer in college and then there at Jacksonville was very big on accountability. You own your mistakes, you learn from your mistakes, and if you keep repeating your mistakes, you're out of here. right? Well, he kept on making these mistakes, some small, some much, much bigger, and he tried to take accountability for it, but that end accountability, which is if you keep making the mistakes, you're gone, that finally caught up to him because it's his own standard. You know, Trevor, I know that you know you you covered his teams in college, and I'm, I'm sure that you have talked with Urban Meyer before. What kind of person is Urban Meyer? Because we've heard the stories, and we know, you know, everything that he went through, you know, with uh, the, the situations there. He's been basically called a narcissist. I mean, he has that kind kind of attitude. It's always been about him, and in this situation in Jacksonville, really portrays that. I mean, it seems like he really doesn't care about anything else, about any of these you know, other coaching jobs. And we go back to when he was at Florida. Then he decided, okay, I'm going to retire. And he gave it up very suddenly after all the success there. There were health issues. There were family issues. Uh, and there were some other behind-the-scenes issues. Then he goes to Ohio State. And then he retires again for the second time at Ohio State. And then takes some time off. Goes in the bro- uh, goes into does some broadcasting on the college side. Then he takes a job with the Jacksonville Jaguars, leads him to the NFL, and it seems like he has always looked to be that guy who marches to the beat of his own drum. He's going to do everything his way, and you said it, his way or the highway, and he's going to do it on his own terms. Is that a fair assumption of him? What is Urban Meyer like as a person? I like Urban Meyer, TC. I like him as a person, and I like him as a college coach. And it's it, on some level it hurts me that he – has failed so so spectacularly in his first attempt and maybe only attempt in the NFL. And it hurts me as a player to see players with Jacksonville that really were hoping that this would be the start of something good there that now have to start all over again, all over again. And the thing about it is that, you know, he, he my way of the highway is something that all coaches have to a degree. The question is, how do they deal with it? How do they express it? I don't know many coaches that you could say aren't narcissistic to a degree, if you define narcissism as, hey, we're going to succeed and we're going to do it my way. That's what a lot of coaches do. But you need to fight the fight that you're in. And the fight you're in in college is with younger players. The fight you're in in the NFL is with grown men who make more than you who have kids in school. And the way you, you treat them and motivate them is, is completely different uh, from the way you treat and motivate college kids a lot of the times. You talked about Florida. You know, at Florida... He stepped into a buzzsaw. He was at Utah and brought his read option offense to the SEC. And everybody said that that read option offense, um, where the quarterback can either run the ball or hand off based on what the defense is doing, but that means the quarterback runs the ball a lot. That means the quarterback gets hit a lot. That that would never work in the SEC because the linebackers are just too fast and they would just smash the quarterback. Well, all he does is win two national championships with two different quarterbacks, Chris Leak and then Tim Tebow as starters. So he really ushered that system into credibility. But the knock on him there was that he brought in a bunch of guys that were uh, a very questionable character. One of them, Aaron Hernandez, right. who was convicted of murder, for goodness sake. And, you know, there were, there were a lot of guys there that were considered quite questionable. So he leaves Florida. And a lot of people believe that he part of the reason he left was that he lost control of the locker room to those guys to the degree that he didn't think he could get it back. And so that stressed him out, too. So there's Ohio State. The players that he has at Ohio State are character guys. I can't think of a guy, and he may have had some, but I can't think of guys that got in the kinds of trouble that guys at Florida when he was coaching there, got into. It was good. But then he got in trouble staying with his assistant coach for too long with his allegations of abusing his wife physically and all those different things, the assistant coach now. And the thing about that is that there's a lot more to that than was really known nationally. That was an incredibly dysfunctional family as a group. 
And I think Urban Meyer and his wife were trying to stay with them to try to help them and mentor them and ended up getting stained by what his assistant coach did because there is no excuse for any of that. And he stayed with them too long. And he'll tell you that he stayed with them too long. But that is another dark stain on his reputation nationally. Now, this one from Jacksonville, right? And so I thought he grew as a coach and the kind of program he wanted to run from Florida to Ohio State. That kind of got its, its head chopped right off by the guillotine of the circumstances around that coach. And he did make mistakes in the way he treated that coach and the way he stayed with him as long as he did. So I thought he'd be resurrected a bit in Jacksonville, but nope, nope. Now what does he do? That's the big question. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there is anything for him. I mean, again, you know, when you we just detailed everything that happened just in the last year, less than a year in Jacksonville, and like you bring up those valid points, and it just conjures up a lot of memories from his time at Florida and also Ohio State. There were a lot of red flags is there. Uh, as well. Trevor Manich uh, joined us uh, from ESPN. Obviously, fantastic job uh, covering uh, college football uh, for ESPN. Knows Urban Meyer very well and just in, in, in detailed uh, the problems there. Trevor, you bring up the point, and we talk about this a lot, uh, another case where a college coach doesn't make it in the NFL. It just doesn't work. Uh, the respect factor you know, plays into it. Uh, we saw it with Nick Saban. Um, going back in time, Steve Spurrier, Lou Holtz, Dennis Erickson, Butch Davis comes to mind, Bobby Petrino for his limited time in Atlanta, Mike Riley. How much of this is, is college coaches having to deal, like you said, with grown men and those men looking down at a coach that's coming into their environment? Or is it more than that? No, it's more how they feel they're treated. When Steve Spurrier came into the NFL, he was, went the opposite way with Washington than Urban Meyer did. Urban Meyer came in saying, look, if, if this fails, it's failing my way. Spurrier came in and did his level best to relate to the players. He well, because he's a former NFL quarterback, well. too, for so many years as well, too. So probably maybe not the same comparison should be for just college coaches who didn't play in the NFL as a player, correct? Yeah, and, and that's fair, too. Steve Spurrier, also in fairness to him, came into a, an ownership situation where nobody had won and nobody would win until the owner kind of got better. And he has gotten better at what he's done. But really, Spurrier had no chance there. Uh, Nick Saban had a different issue at Miami where he thought he'd have more control than he did. But then you have to look at um, uh, Jimmy Johnson, who was the great coach at Miami with all those unbelievable teams at the Hurricanes. And then he goes on to be a multiple Super Bowl yeah. winner at Dallas. There's and a couple of highway or the highway yeah. in a major way. Right. Right? So it depends on the style. And it also depends if you win. Because when you look at, for example, Jacksonville, they've lost double-digit games, 10 or more games, 10 of the last 11 years. And I think they're, they're, they've lost 11 already this year. So here they go again, right? And if you, if you win as a coach, guys will put up with a lot of stuff. Bill Parcells had a reputation of wearing guys out. I mean, wearing them out. And when he left teams, they were kind of glad he was gone, even when they won with him. Patriots, for example, he got them to the first Super Bowl since 1985. And then when he left, he you know, they lost that Super Bowl. But when he left, they were glad he was gone because he wears you out. But you win. And so you put up with coaches where you win because that's how you get paid as a professional player. If you've got all these problems and you're not winning, then you'll lose that team in a, in a big hurry. And that was part of the problem. That's why Jimmy Johnson... You know, I think he was there, what, 1-15 uh, his first year there with Troy Aikman. And then, all of a sudden, bam, they, they take off. Well, he purged a lot of guys, but in that second year, they started to see the progress. And that progress must be shown if you're going to roll in there as a college coach and, and, you know, and lay waste to people's individuality. You tell them, it's my way or the highway. Okay, coach, your way better win. Mm-hmm. Trevor Match uh, joins us. Trevor... Anytime you're a number one overall pick, you're going to have a lot of scrutiny. A lot's going to be on your shoulders in face of the franchise for the future, and that's Trevor Lawrence. This guy's had one touchdown pass or less in 12 straight starts. Uh, you know, he had multiple touchdowns against uh, the Houston Texans, and, uh, and that's how bad they've been since then. Uh, how much of this is on him, and can this guy be an elite quarterback in the NFL? 
You know, that's a great question, PC, because I don't know yet. I just don't know if he can be a great quarterback in the NFL. I know that with Jacksonville in his rookie year, he has not had a chance. His receivers have not been able to separate. His, his protection has been, you know, characteristically awful. That's been a common theme at Jacksonville for a long time. He just doesn't have the tools around him to know how good he can be. We know he's a great leader because he's handling this situation that's just awful, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he is modeling himself from Troy Aikman's rookie year. And by the way, Peyton Manning's rookie year, too, wasn't all that great shakes. And, you know, a lot, a lot of quarterbacks do that. So he's got that perspective. But here's why I don't know. At Clemson, he got a lot of credit for a lot of big throws down the field, a lot of big plays. But on a lot of those plays, they were questionable throws. And he had guys like Justin Ross and T. Higgins, tall receivers that excelled at jumping up for the 50-50 ball that would make a bad throw a big completion or a questionable throw a big completion. You know, I saw a bunch of times where, you know, there'd be a receiver, say, running up the left seam vertical. He's got a defender inside of him. You've got to throw the ball out in front to the outside to lead the defender away, excuse me, the receiver away from the defender. I've seen a bunch of times in college at Clemson where Lawrence threw the ball on the defensive side of that matchup. And it would be an interception if the receiver didn't go in there and either break it up or more often than not catch it anyway. And then everybody says, oh, Trevor Lawrence, look at that 50-yard completion. And I'm looking at it going, that should have been a pick. It was the receiver that saved him. So I'm not saying he's not a good quarterback. I'm saying that that happened a lot in college, a lot more than I thought it would. And so I need to see him with good protection and good receivers before I know how he really will be in the NFL. Where do you think the Jags go from here? I mean, obviously, Shad Khan is, is embarrassed. And when you use the terms that he used, where when you say that you are bitterly disappointed uh, and this thing, you know, regrettably, uh, you know, it didn't work out, it didn't happen. I mean, again, he's... He he's in an embarrassing situation here. Where do they go? Do, do they do they go with a veteran? They go with the name. What do you think the Jaguars do? Or does it even matter at this point in time? Well, he's got the money to get somebody in there. The question is if if he can have the situation that somebody who can win and build that place uh, would want to come to. You know that means control. That means you know the open purse strings and all the different things that that owners need to do. And that'll really be the difference because on the one hand you've got to admire. Mr. Khan's passion for winning. But on the other hand, they haven't won there for many, 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 many years. It's not all his fault. He hadn't been there the whole time either, I don't think. I'm not sure how long he's been the owner. But the thing is, at some point, the owner needs to take a look at the boxes he's trying to check as he hires a new coach, as he hires a general manager, and, uh, and look, look at himself as well. And so I think that's part of the process. The kind of coach he needs to bring in, though, is a guy that will have credibility with the players and that can develop players. A guy that can take a, a decent NFL guy and turn him into a more productive guy than other coaches can do. Because it will take time to build up that roster a lot of time. And then ownership will have to have plenty of patience while he goes about building up that roster. Because right now the roster of the Jaguars just has tons of holes, and they have all kinds of problems. I mean, their defense is historically bad. There's just all kinds of issues with them. Now, part of that, too, is, is injuries. I get it. But where the Jaguars go from here is not really a, a rebuild so much as a, a startup. They need to kind of pretend that they are an expansion team again and think, okay, we're going to have to purge people as quickly as we can get away with it. You don't want to just dump your whole team and, you know, some guys can play okay, but you don't like them. Keep them until you get somebody that plays better, right? And so, but they've got to treat this that way, like it is a, a startup, an expansion team with a whole bunch of guys that are already under contract and then build from there because right now the, the, the roster and the culture are not NFL ready. Right. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between the Jaguars and what's going on here in Vegas, uh, you know, with the Raiders, and we'll, t- we'll we touch on that, uh, you know, quite a bit, especially all the turmoil the Raiders have gone through on and off the field. Uh, Trevor, before we let you go, real quickly, we got a very good game tonight in the AFC West with the Chiefs and uh, the Chargers. Uh, give us a breakdown. Well, the, they both have been up and down, haven't they? I think this really is all about the Chiefs, and the Chiefs' defense has been better in the last month or so. 
The question you've got to ask yourself, though, is has the, and, and the offense, too, but the offense still statistically is not where you expect them to be, although really they, they, they're showing signs that they can get back there pretty quickly. The thing about it, though, is if the Chiefs are playing at their potential, I don't think the Chargers are going to be able to keep up. And really, to me, the Chiefs' offense needs to get back to being the Chiefs' offense on a consistent basis and not rely on their defense. Then if their defense is better, good, all the better. But the Chiefs that we know have that offense rolling, and the defense is complementary to the offense, where they get a big lead, and then the defense can take risks, and they can perform better than their overall talent might allow them to. That's when the Chiefs are at their best. So what I really want to see is Mahomes in this offense getting back to looking like they have when they've been at their best. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, you know, The six-game winning streak by the Chiefs, a lot of that is because of the way the defense is, is played, and that's a, you know, too much uh, you know, a surprise, too, for even some Chiefs fans thinking, hey, you know, this defense was, was always kind of uh, you know, Achilles' heel, but this defense has been rock solid uh, while that offense uh, was struggling a little bit. But uh, you expect uh, Mahomes and Kelsey and uh, even the running game to be successful, to have some success against uh, especially, you know, a Chargers defense uh, that is susceptible to giving up chunks of yardage, especially on the ground. So we'll see what happens tonight. Chiefs, the three-point favorite on the road, SoFi Stadium. One thing we know for sure, Trevor, there'll probably be just as many Chiefs fans in that building, if not more, than Charger fans tonight in L.A. Well, I think the Chargers organization hopes so, because that means there's more people <laughs> buying tickets, buying hot dogs, and paying for parking. They don't care what color jersey they're wearing they, they care about the only color green <laughs> all right my man great stuff uh we appreciate it with you and thanks uh thanks for giving us some thoughts regarding the jaguars and urban meyer yeah thanks dc that the whole situation makes me sad but i appreciate you having me on to talk about you it. you got it brother be good and we'll talk to you tomorrow thanks a lot man all right, man. All right uh you know we have a lot of fun on the show especially with trevor we'll go off the beaten path sometime uh, today very serious nature very serious uh you know story there in jacksonville with urban meyer and a lot of people here will say hey, who cares about the jacksonville jaguars this is a big national story because of the way a head coach treated his players and his staff and how ownership said enough. Uh, commend Shad Khan for saying enough is enough with this clown, Urban Meyer, because I've been saying it for, for years. Never really you know, cared for the way he handled himself at, at Florida, in Ohio State, and he, he always came across, uh, hey, I'm going to do things you know, my way, and he really could care less overall about the job. Seemed like you know, not even, you know, sometimes not even you know, committing fully you know, to this job. It was, it was all about him uh, seeing his name and lights and collecting a very big paycheck for wherever he's been. So we'll continue to follow uh, this story. I'm sure more and more will come out of this. Uh, other comments uh, from, from players from Jacksonville and maybe even players that played for Urban Meyer in college uh, as well, too. All right, we come back. We'll talk a little basketball. Tracy Murray will join us. We'll talk about Steph Curry being the all-time three-point king. And that's coming from one of the the best shooters in the NBA has ever seen, too. Tracy Murray, that's coming up next. You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Monitor. All right, we saw Steph Curry become the all-time three-point king the other night at Madison Square Garden. I thought, hey, this is a great time to bring in one of our best sharpshooters that uh, we know and that is Tracy Murray, played in the league for 12 years, of course, and a great friend, and also does a fantastic job on the broadcast side with the UCLA Bruins Radio Network. So we've got a lot to talk about with Tracy. We bring him in right now. Trace, what's going on, brother? How's it going, TC? I'm good, man. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Happy holidays, man. Right back to you, man. Right back at you. This uh, very uh, special time and... Uh, uh, it's a basketball time. It's a holiday time, and uh, I know that uh, you're, you're juggling, man. Cause you got all kinds of stuff going between a uh, uh, family, work, and everything else, right? Oh yeah, it's always a busy time around this time. Uh-huh. You know, around Christmas and this basketball season, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. So I want to get to a couple different things with you, Trace. But uh, let's let's first start with uh, with Steph Curry. Um, becoming the all-time three-point king. You know, you were one of the best shooters. You know, when you played. Uh, not only in the NBA, but before that in college, high school, scored over 5,900 points. And uh, Tracy, believe it or not, I, I think I have this number right. I, uh, do you know how many threes that you actually hit during your NBA career, my friend? 
no, I don't. I wasn't allowed to shoot this many, though. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go there with that. 758. 758. Can you imagine if you were playing in today's day and age of the NBA and you did have the green light, where you would be? I will probably be up there where they are. <laughs> right, exactly right. So, hey, as a as a sharpshooter yourself, man, and, and a guy who was one of the best three-point shooters when you played, how much do you appreciate what Steph Curry uh, has accomplished and everything he's done and really what he means to the game? Well, TC, we talked about this a couple of times, man. It's like I said before he even became the best three-point shooter ever, uh, I already said that he had the crown. I said this a long time ago because he does it differently than everybody else. Everybody else would catch and shoot or maybe coming off of a screen. Maybe one or two dribbles, escape dribbles, or a step back or something. He's doing it off of pick and rolls. He's doing it uh, in transition, dribbling the ball. Uh, he's doing it off of, you know, pick and rolls, uh, uh, um, um all kinds of ways dribbling the basketball and getting back to that three-point line of shooting. It's not just catch and shoot like the rest of us. So um, he, he's incredible with the way he shoots the ball and he does it with range off the dribble. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. We have talked about this uh, before. People want to label him as just being a, a three-point shooter. And for me, and, I, and I've said it, you know, a lot of people, want to, you know, we always hear the Michael Jordan and LeBron, you know, um, comparisons. And I've used, you know, throw Steph Curry in there as well, too. Different type of player. But when you need a bucket and uh, it's Steph Curry, it could be inside. It could be outside. It could be, you know, getting to the line, whatever it is. I mean, he's just a fantastic basketball player. And again, as we know, second generation players, they just seem to be, you know, more mature and they seem to be more polished. And uh, we saw that uh, with Steph Curry, you know, the moment he came in the the NBA. Uh, little Steph, skinny Steph when he was at Davidson. And it was really cool to see Bob McKillop, his uh, college coach from Davidson, you know, be uh, at the garden there the other night. So uh, I, I'm with you, man. You know how I feel about Steph Curry. Just not just a great shooter, but just a great player. And and I hope people remember uh, him for that when he's done playing this game five or six, seven years from now, because he's just uh, the the ultimate player and the ultimate scorer. And we don't hear about Steph Curry really getting in any trouble and, and being a disruption anytime. He's a class act as well, too. Well, I mean, come from class family, you know. I mean, you know, don't don't judge him. By, you know, what's been in, you know, recent stuff. I mean, I knew them as a whole family and, and how they how they were then. And and they were raised under a happy roof. They were raised the right way. Um, those kids, I, I was around those kids for two and a half years, man, over uh, in Toronto. And I saw those kids after school, after I practiced, in the gym with their dad, getting work in. So the work started way back then. I saw them do it. They didn't use being in, in Toronto, Canada as an excuse. They got to work. And, and i tell you what, I think part of the reason why they may not have gone you know, to, a, to a bigger college, well, I know uh, Seth ended up going to Duke, but it, he started smaller. But these guys weren't really seen that much young because they were in Toronto for a little while. Then they come here and, and they have a certain look about them being maybe not as tall, not as big and athletic looking, and people slap on them. But you got to understand, these guys, both of them, shoot the heck out of the ball. And they have a high basketball IQ and they know how to get their shots off. And if, you, if they even see the basket, just a half a look, that ball is going in. Absolutely, and Tracy referring to obviously Del Curry, who Tracy played with uh, in Toronto. You know, uh, you know, nineteen ninety nine to two thousand and two. A little Steph Curry, you know, running around there, uh, fantastic stuff. How cool was it to see Steph Curry break this record at the Mecca at Madison Square Garden, and with Ray Allen and Reggie Miller both in attendance there? Well, it couldn't have been a more perfect place to to break the record. I mean. If you haven't played a great game in Madison Square Garden, you're missing something, especially being on the opposing team. Uh, and then he happens to break the record there, you know, in front of Spike Lee, you know, who tormented Reggie for years, and Reggie got him back with his play on the court. 
And I'm sure Ray Allen had huge games in, in, in Madison Square Garden. I mean, that place is the mecca. And and it's just a different energy there. And, and, and the fans are very educated about basketball and very passionate. So to see him break it there and get the kudos from the New York fans, that means a lot. One thing that Prince said in the 1999 album, all the critics love you in New York. <laughs> And that's where you got to perform. There you go. Absolutely. Good stuff. Tracy Murray joins us. Uh, one of the great uh, shooters uh, the NBA has seen. Uh, Tracy, who was maybe the best shooter that you either played with or against during your time in the NBA? And I know oh, there's a lot of them. Def- with, it was definitely Dale Curry. Yeah. Dale Curry was the best shooter that I played with. Wow. I mean, when we were in practice, and we were going against Vince Carter and, 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 and Mo Peterson. It, it was like, pick your poison on what side you want to go to off the floppy action because, you know, we're running off of, of, off of really good picks and we're using each other to get open and both of us know how to run off screens. And it was like making a layup for either one of us running off screens. So it, it, it was funny because when, when, when you can shoot and you know how to play chess with each other, um, it, it was a, it was a lot of fun times in practice when we were on the same team. And when you're going back, and you mentioned seeing uh, Steph and Seth, you know, at a young age like that, did you actually could you see the development? Could you see uh, a young Steph Curry at that point in time, just the way you know his mechanics were and the way he was shooting the basketball? That like, hey, you know, I know he's, he's a little kid, but man, this you know he comes from, he comes from Dell. Uh, th- this guy might be something special. Could you see that at that young age? You can you can see that the kids love the game. They had a passion for it. Um, that, that's one thing that, um, that that you saw at an early age. And Steph would always say, Seth is the guy. And I'm, I'm like, you sure? Because I'm looking <laughs> to Steph shoot the ball right now. But, you know, I mean, he was right about, about Seth. He made it to the league. You know, he got both of them in the league. But I, I know that he knew that that Steph was was special. But he was he was looking at Seth being, at the time, the more and more potential, I guess. But I tell you what, to have the all-time best shooter uh, ever as your son, and you were a great shooter, and you have another son that's a great shooter that, and they both play in the NBA, the same league that you played in, you've done something right. Yeah. Just this thing about those grandkids too, maybe coming. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they got, a, and then they got a, uh, He's got a son-in-law that's married to his daughter, so and they're on the same team, so it's all in the family over there. There it is. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the the three point shot, and we talked about it yesterday about you know the progression and and where it's come, and and you know going back to the the first year the three point shot was implemented the seventy nine eighty season teams were making you know less than than one uh, three pointer a game they're only attempting three, and then you go to Steph Curry's rookie season in two thousand and nine and ten. You know, the average was six made. And now we fast forward to today in the 2021 season here where, uh, you know, you know, 12 are made, but there's like 35 attempted now. I mean, it's just it's insane. And let me just ask you point blank, Tracy, as you watch today's NBA, and it's obviously coming down to the, you know, spurring down to the college game as well, too, has the three-point shot you know, ruin the game in the sense that everybody thinks they're a three-point shooter. It doesn't matter if you're a point guard. It doesn't matter if you're a power forward or you're a seven-foot center. You all think that the, the you have a three-point shot. I think it I, 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 it does ruin it to a certain extent because now you have guys that think they are, but that means they don't really know their game. You know, if, if you are not a three-point shooter, play to your strength. Um, you got you're right. You got everybody shooting a shot now, and and some of them are not capable of knocking one down. I mean, the sun shines on you know on somebody every now and then to where they knock down a couple. But on on uh, realistically, it's, it's you know it's, that's why teams are in the thirty percentile is because you got those other guys shooting the ball. But if your team is equipped for analytics like Golden State, where you got a team full of shooters, it makes sense. But if you don't have that team and you're not equipped with that type of talent, it doesn't make sense. So you have to play according to what you have. 
And, and I think that's where the biggest misconception with this, this analytic style of play is, is you guys go to states equipped for it. I don't know anybody else in America or the world that's equipped for more than them. So, yeah, it makes sense for them to play for it. Man, these dudes pass up on floaters and layups just to pass it out for a three. Yep. Now, I don't think everybody's equipped for that. I totally agree. You know, when I look at the, the list here of the guys that have had the three-point record, and again, we've had the involvement where, again, we didn't have all of these guys you know, shooting uh, this many, but I'm going to give you some names here, and just give me some quick thoughts. Now, a couple of these guys played before you got in the league, but you know them all, and, and then several of them you actually played, played against. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Adams in 1991. He, you know, he went back and he set the record at 626. Then Dale Ellis broke his record, and they kind of went back and forth for a few years of breaking each other's record while they were still playing. Then, of course, Reggie Miller, uh, and then Ray Allen, and then of course now Steph Curry. Uh, when you hear those names, what uh, what do you think of? Uh, I think of everybody that they all can shoot the basketball. They were all different players. Michael Adams had a weird-looking shot. Yeah, he, he did. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was almost like a double-pump three-point shot. Right. But he went. And he got. He you actually know? got lift. I mean, he, he – and I was talking to yeah. – we were talking to Big Bill Cartwright yesterday, and Bill said, hands down, the best that he, that he had seen or played with against was Craig Hodges, and Craig had more of that jump shot too. And that's and that, Michael Adams was kind of a herky-jerky jump shot like you just described. Right, right. And, and, but he found it – you know, he, he made it consistent for, for his shot. That's why you can't really question people's form. Look at Jamal Wilkes. His form was different, but it was consistent for him. You know, it's like it's like you can't quite. You have to see what people are working with, and, and, and then see if they're consistent with it. And, and those guys that you named, they had range and they were extremely consistent with their shots. And they didn't shoot bad three point shots. They shot the ones that they were capable of making, the ones that were wide open. Mm-hmm. You weren't, you know, you weren't able back then to just take a crazy three-point shot unless it was like at the end of a shot clock or the end of the quarter or something. Everything else had to be, you know, you had to have some time to let it go, or else you were going to get yanked out of the game. Yeah, the the numbers are crazy. Uh, Steph is now at at twenty nine, think seventy eight, because you know we had four or five the other night. Where do you think he ends up? Give me, give me a number, Tracy. For for where do you think he ends up as total three pointers made, and w- will anyone ever break this? No one's going to ever break it. He's going. He's the best to ever do it. Um, he has the ultra green light to shoot it whenever he wants to, um, and there's no one that shoots it with the range that he has with green light with that accuracy. Uh, it's not going to be caught. Um, he. Probably will finish, and it all depends on his health. Uh, he will finish somewhere, in, you know, around five or six, maybe thousand. <laughs> you think that many? I was going to say, could he get to four thousand? I mean, that'd be an, it'd be a, another... maybe four, maybe four, yeah, forty five hundred. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's insane, it's, isn't it? You got you got to understand. He, he's putting them up now. He's not. He's not like. It's not like he's not shooting them. He's getting them up, and and him getting them up. He shoots it at a high clip. So, you know, it's like the sky's the limit for him. I, I hope he puts it out of his misery. I hope no one can catch it because he's a guy that deserves it. He worked hard his whole life. And, and you know, to, to you know, follow in his dad's footsteps, how much pressure is that? Right. You know, and then, and then to, to surpass what his dad has done. I mean, I know his dad is proud, man. You know, it, it took Steph Curry 789 games to break this record, and you know, it took Ray Allen 1300 to set it. Now, sure, like you said, he has that freedom and everything. But here's the most impressive thing: it goes back to the beginning of this conversation. It's the accuracy, the consistency yep. of Steph Curry. 43 percent, 43 percent. He hits. That's unheard of from beyond the arc. That's amazing. It's amazing, but it's called putting in the work. Yeah. He is a guy that knows his shot. Have you ever seen this guy's warm-up routine? Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, up close and, and I, personal. Yeah, I, I love it. I, uh, phenomenal. I, I thought I was the only one to shot the ball from that far and that right. consistent. But right. he, he does it like a layup. Yeah. 
And, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, he's shooting the ball from the stands and all kinds of stuff, man. It's like it's, it's, it's amazing watching him put on the show and warm up. It is. All right, real quick, Warriors. Uh, are, are, they're, they're back to the Warriors that we saw years ago, my friend. Uh, why is this team looking so good? Is it, is it solely because Steph Curry is having another MVP type of season? Or what else is going on with his team? Because really, roster-wise, it's pretty much the same team, except you bring back Andre Iguodala, which I loved. But uh, what is it with the, this Warrior team? Well, you, you have the core unit. You know, Iguodala's back. You have Draymond, who's healthy. You have Steph, who's health, healthy. You know, Andrew Wiggins is having a good season. You know, they were waiting on him to come along. Um, the, the young guys, Jordan Poole and, and, and the young cats that are on that team are stepping up and playing uh, just like, you know, the core units playing. When you have everybody buys in, buy into to the style of play and being unselfish, and looking for each other, everybody gets open shots. You get shots that you're capable of making. And oh, by the way, they're doing this without Clay Thompson yeah. and Wiseman. Wait until those guys come back. Look out. And, 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 and Looney is healthy this year, too, mm-hmm. so that helps, too. All right, Tracy Murray, the sharpshooter, also does a great job on the UCLA Bruins radio network. Uh, got a chance to see Tracy when you were here a couple weeks ago when UCLA uh, played uh, UNLV. You guys had a game last night that was postponed. Uh, Mick Cronin having COVID now. What is the status of him and the rest of this team, Tracy, where you guys had to postpone the game last night? Well, I, I, I don't know the status of anybody having COVID yet. I just know that they were going to test because there was some precautionary situation. So hopefully, I, I, I haven't gotten the latest. Uh, maybe you got the latest uh, press release. I know I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't gotten anything yet. But from what I knew last night, no one had COVID. It was just a pre, a, some type of precautionary thing happened with somebody maybe having a scratchy throat. And they said, well, we need to test everybody. So it's like they took an extreme caution and said, all right, let's shut this one down. You know, and, and Mick was under the weather. So it's like, let's, let's, let's shut this thing down. Let's test everybody and make sure, you know, we don't have something going on here. And, and they didn't want to expose the other team, which I felt bad for Alabama State because, you know, that's their NCAA game playing against UCLA. Right. They, they've been out there for four days. Um, you know, I talked to Mo Williams before the game. He was excited. I talked to Trey Johnson. I used to coach him in the in the D League when he was with Bakersfield. Um, good friend of mine. Um, played with the Lakers for a couple years. It's like these guys were excited to coach their team. But there was a guy, DJ Jackson, that's on the team that my brother coached uh, for a couple of games with with Wanda High School that that have uh, 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 Clark on our team. Uh, you know, that was, that's his teammate in high school. So. You know, it's like, I know that kid. He was excited to play. And, and it was unfortunate. Uh, Cody Riley was, was excited to play. He was going to come back and play since the injury. So, you know, there was a lot of things that, that people were excited about last night. And unfortunately, the game didn't happen. And this isn't, isn't the first time. A couple weeks back, you guys got a forfeit against Washington because yeah. they, they couldn't feel the team. And you go look at the score. UCLA got a victory 2 nothing in a Pac-12 conference game. Right. You know, and this is the thing about it. Is this thing doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Yeah. And, and you know, it's unfortunate. And um, we're just going to have to, you know, see what happens. All right. UCLA against North Carolina, part of the CBS Sports Classic here. T-Mobile Arena. Always love uh, this uh, this event, uh, Tracy, and then you got Kentucky and Ohio State playing in the, in the nightcaps. So I know you you will be here calling uh, the action for the the Bruin Radio Network. Uh, pretty excited. Hopefully, this you know you guys get a chance to play Saturday against uh, against yeah. against the uh, the Tar Heels. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so too because I know the guys are looking forward to this game. I know North Carolina's looking forward to this game. We're always looking forward to to this event. Um, it's a very exciting time whenever we're, we're in this event every year. You know, four of the top Blue Blood programs in America going at it. Um, you know, it's an exciting time when, when we're all together. So I just hope everything's okay. 
and we're able to make the trip and, and have the game. And this has worked out good for you because, you, know, you know, Tracy spends a lot of time here in Vegas, has a home here. You guys played UNLV, you played Gonzaga, and now you're coming back to play Carolina. It's, hey, man, I'm loving it. I'm telling you, right? <laughs> exactly. All right. And he's also the coach, Tracy Murray. I, I got to get an update here. All right. Uh, you're, any of your girls' teams beating up on, on, on the boys' teams? You know, in in the oh, in the ten U division. Saw that. <laughs> well, I remember we talked about that. I remember we talked about this before too, because you had said that this this had gone on. But then I did see, yes, yes. So this isn't the first time, though, right? Well, well. So, so what happened was um, it was a tournament out there, and I guess you know the, the girls were in the girls tournament, and I guess there was some other tournament, bigger name tournament that popped up, and all of a sudden, all the girls teams leave. So. <laughs> But, you know, Prodigy's left there standing, you know, so they put them in the 10U boys tournament over there and they ended up winning the tournament. <laughs> That's and awesome. I, I just, I just, you know, I'm proud of the girls. I, I, I coached them last year. I'm not coaching them this year. Dion, I coached Dion for Prodigy is coaching them this year. Um, he's, he's really helped them all, you know, raise the level of their game. He, he's given them structure. Uh, he's, he's very passionate. But the girls are looking very good. All of them are improving. I'm I'm so happy for them to to see them play and to see them win. And you know we've had some we had some rough stretches last year because of you know playing. Up. You know we we play up a lot. So you know we got our hands beat in a couple of times. And you know just to see that you know there was a lot of things that they needed to work on during the off season part of it. And, and they worked on it and addressed their problems and. They came back a better team, and, and, and I guess those losses last year it built their character. Of course, uh, that's what I was going to say. They, always, yeah, ma- always yeah. makes you stronger individually and yeah. as a team. We know that. Good stuff, man. Yeah, my daughter, and my niece—they're they're playing very well, so they're getting better all the time. Great stuff, man. We'll, we'll keep up uh, the, the great work there. I know you're not officially coaching, but you know you—you you, you got a hand in it, man. You got a hand in those youngsters. I know you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm coaching the 17U boys team. I'm, I'm assistant coaching my brother on the elite team. So that's when I get started. I get started in the spring and summer. That, yep. That's when I, I get going. And I assist wherever I can, whenever I'm at practice. You got it, brother. All right, Tracy, appreciate you as always, man. Look forward to hopefully seeing you uh, you know, this weekend. And, uh, you know, again, be safe and everything. Hopefully we got some basketball on Saturday here at T-Mobile. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks, TC. Take, Take care, care bro- man. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you and your family. Tracy Murray, great friend and just a great guy all the way around. All right, and we come back. Woo! Man, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll take some phone calls, get your thoughts. We'll talk Raiders and Browns. We'll get you updated. Uh, everything else is happening in the National Football League. More and more COVID cases happening. B-Sal, Brian Salmon will join us from... News 3 as well, too. We'll talk about Las Vegas being awarded Super Bowl 58 in 2024, February 11th to be exact. We look forward to that. One hour down, one to go. T.C. Martin Show on this thunderous Thursday.